It's a strong statement. It's clear a single employee's credentials were obtained. It's it's clear there as well. And the only thing I just frowned at was a sentence that says, as we all know, the human is often the weakest part of the security chain. If they had left that off. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Heather Noggle, owner of Codastack, a company that specializes in cybersecurity communications, advocacy, awareness, etc., She also provides a technical writing and business process outlining uh, services as well. She is also an adjunct professor teaching A-plus core two. And in short, Heather lives at the intersection of technology and words. She is a perfect guest to dig into this week's topic, communications during a breach. So let's dig into it. Heather, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. All righty. I posted on LinkedIn now. It's been a couple of weeks. Last pass, uh, everybody knew was the hotness uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of wanted the fervor to die down before we really dug into a show on this. So I didn't want emotions to be running high when we recorded, but I think we can safely say the the bulk of the emotional reactions have, have passed. So, so it's been a few weeks since my post. Basically, I jumped out there and said in the midst of all the emotional churn, I said, look, I'm not going to assume any malice, willful hiding of facts, lying, et cetera, on the part of LastPass, right? There were a lot of people just jumping straight into they are evil. And I brought up the fact that bad communications uh, can quickly usher people into that place of thinking folks are evil, but that bad communications may not actually be derived from malintent. Uh, There's a number of reasons it could have been mismanaged and or miscommunicated besides malintent. So, you know, I guess that's the first question for you is what is your take on how valuable the communications are in an incident like this? Oh, the communication is really valuable. And there are different pieces in the cycle of communication. There's the notification that something happened. And then there's the notification of here's what we're doing and here's what we can communicate right now. And then there's what would hopefully be an apology or something near the end that speaks to what happened and what we were responsible for, what we're doing and how we feel about it and what it impacts you, our customers. So that's what I would hope to see in a breach cycle communications. Okay. And obviously with LastPass, we didn't necessarily get all of those bullets uh, uh, checked off your list there. Um, Now, you've studied political communication in school. And you specifically read a book you mentioned to me called Persuasive Attack and Defense, which is a study in rhetoric and communication. How is this book on political communications, how is this concept of political communication relevant to these breach scenarios? Oh, it's completely relevant. The book is from the 90s. So imagine that this all came out before the Internet. So most of what this is analyzing will be things that happened in the 80s or earlier, and most of that will be political. So there's not anything directly speaking to breach communication. But what the book outlines in the beginning is the different ways that companies and people try to maintain their reputation when they've been attacked, meaning by a person or in the case of a breach, pretty much everybody is assuming the role of the attack here because something has happened that is wrong the general public or a specific company's customers. And cyber attack and defense, typically you see there then After a breach, that there will be a denial, whether implicit or explicit or implicit, 
or the company will try to bolster its reputation. It may try to diminish that the the attack actually had much of an effect, or it may try to disassociate itself from the attack and push that off to a third party, or even that was our competitor, not us. We're getting problems from association in the industry. And so you'll see these going back and forth in the communication coming from companies that have been breached because they feel the need, and rightfully so, to defend themselves and explain what happened to varying degrees what they're doing there. And I can talk specifically about LastPass. In the communication that came out on the 22nd, which I fully expected there'd be more communication after that, this is December 22nd, so right before Christmas. And LastPass put out a blog entry that was easy to find, and it talked very technically about what had occurred in language that was not geared toward the people who were likely its customers. And nowhere in this, yeah, nowhere in this defense of what happened or explanation of what happened was there any apology or really much ownership of what occurred. So there are the two incidents. I'll just re- replay LastPass for everybody real quick. There was an incident in August of 2022. And then there was a later incident that happened based on credentials that were obtained in the August attack. I believe I have that correct. So LastPass on December 22nd started to talk about what happened. And it spent, I printed it, about four pages of explanation, no apology, and a reminder, which is good, to do better on your password manager's master password. So that's helpful. But there was no apology and no further communication. So those two pieces, plus the idea of, hey, some of your users, you did a bad job with your passwords, is the, the end of the communication from LastPass to us. And in that way, yes. In that way, there's some shifting to the blame to the users who may not have done a good job with their passwords. And additionally, there isn't any real clarity to the customers giving them four pages of information to a digest, much of which, again, is highly technical. So in the beginning, like you said, I didn't assume any malfeasance either on the part of LastPass. And I wrote an open letter to them, put it on LinkedIn and said, in August, you reported a breach. This was a semester ago to us parents, a semester that just ended. And it feels like a really long passage of time to people who don't understand the analysis you've undertaken with these security incidents. It feels like, why are we just now learning about this? Address that. And also, please apologize from the heart to the level that your legal team will allow. So there's my my take on LastPass. All right. So um, didn't they finally come out again in January with still one more statement, though? Wasn't there something else that finally came out in January that, that elaborated a bit further? Or, or am, I, am I wrong on that one? When I looked and, and went to check just before this, I didn't see anything specifically on LastPass, at least on its blog, where it did the report of this incident. The parent company, GoTo, talked about what happened with the backups and to the extent that GoTo was affected. 
And so that communication doesn't specifically mention LastPass, but the parent company GoTo and LastPass did use the same provider where the backups, where the vaults were taken. So that may be what we're looking at because that was January 23rd-ish where that communication was released. And it, it is no clearer or better than the LastPass communication. It is a little bit shorter, but no less obfuscated. Yep. Yeah, and it's interesting. You you mentioned two things. You wanted to see some ownership and and as a heartfelt an apology as as can be, you know, given you know, given 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 the lawyers are involved. And I'm thinking all the way back to Okta um, last year. You know, Okta's first communication was was definitely what I think the bulk of the crowd considered to be subpar. Um, they felt like the ownership wasn't there. They felt like the details weren't there. They, they felt like the how how much am I or am I not affected information wasn't there at first. But it seems to me that Okta really, over the course of that breach, got their act together. Uh, their CISO clearly took the helm, began communicating directly on the blog with much more detail. It it it, it felt to me almost like, and, and I'll never know the full details, but it, it felt to me like... Um, like the lawyers backed off and let the CISO actually own it. Like, like this has happened. It's real, you know, apologizing for it is not going to get us in any worse trouble. Like so somebody, somebody reached some point where they recognized apology was a good idea. Right. And so I'm, to your point, I'm wondering why that precedence hasn't stuck with all these other companies that have breached. And, and part of that, to me, it's not just, you know, you talked about deferring blame and you talked about non-apology. There's also non-communication. You mentioned four pages of technical gibberish. This is the other trend that I saw that Okta got themselves out of. Some accused them of being that way earlier, non-communication. But it sure felt like to me at the end with Okta that there was definite, here's what occurred, here's what was next, here's how it impacted you, here's why we didn't discover it at first, you know, da 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 timeline, impact to you, apology, sincere, right? So, that non-communication, that four pages of fluff, um, that's kind of a common tool in political communication as well. I'm reminded of that study. There was a – I forget who it was back in the 90s, but they, they took a political speech and deconstructed it linguistically and, and, and literally proved that absolutely nothing was said. It was all circular statements, platitudes, self-contradictions. You know, um, This non-communication technique, four pages of non-communication, is that willful? Is there an intent? Is there a purpose to that non-communication? I think there are lawyers, and I also think there are embarrassed people high up, which you might guess. It's a combination of what legal will let you say, feeling the need to say something, which again, that's that's probably a good thing, and not knowing where to go next. We still don't know where in their breach communication LastPass is. It has been since December 22nd, since we've seen something specifically from LastPass as a company. That is no longer on the front page of the website. So this four pages, and I may have print here, we'll call it three, three pages of difficult to read text. It's, um, that may be the extent of what we're going to get from them. And lawyers, 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 probably not allowing them to apologize. I'm, I'm hopeful that's what it is because, boy, as I last passes, former biggest fan, I could sure use an apology just personally. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, you know, I said up front, I'm not assuming malfeasance. I, I'm not assuming malice. I'm not assuming ill will. I'm not assuming intent uh, in, in all of this. Um, but it seems to me that there could be some intent or some malfeasance or some ill will behind non-communication. Like, 
What if your goal is to deliberately just confuse the issue? You could you could use that same three pages of gibberish if that was your intended goal, could you not? I think it was just easy. It's easier to write three pages that are hard to explain than to write four paragraphs that are very clear. So I'm going to hope that's the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, and that's fair. I mean, I'm thinking of my own writing style when I when I put things to paper or even put together a PowerPoint. I'll start with 47 slides and work my way down to three. Um, and and the initial 47, nobody should have to read that, right? So it's a refinement of message, I guess, is you know, an editing process, right? Sure. This this feels like we're on maybe iteration of three, and then you needed ten. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's pause right there, real quick, for a word from our sponsor. It's my old alma mater. TrustMap. Is your cybersecurity team buried in spreadsheets? TrustMap provides the data, insights, and tools you need to make informed decisions about your cybersecurity strategy while reducing manual effort by up to 70%. Get your free board reporting toolkit and schedule a demo at TrustMap.com today. That's T-R-U-S-T-M-A-P-P.com. Let's switch gears. And let's talk about good breach communications. Now, I mentioned Okta as what I saw uh, a journey from the predicted, you know, predictable run-of-the-mill comms on their breach to a strongly, you know, focused uh, communication with ownership, with acknowledgement of impact to the customers, with uh, transparency to the process. You know, we told you this originally. Now we're telling you this. It's because this was uncovered and discovered, you know. It seems to me they owned it. It seems to me they were transparent. It seems to me they apologized. And all that happened at the end. And it took a while for them to get there, but they got there. And I want to point to that always. Anytime there's a breach and say, look at that last communication from Octa last year, you know, the 20, uh, the early 2022, I think it was. Um, look at that communication and, and learn from that, right? Is there anything else that we can point to that you know of that, that speaks to good breach communications? What, what, what we should be doing right? What, what's effective? What matters? What gets through to people? What, what solves the issues? Clear, conversational, and timeline are the three things I think to look at in relating to people when we're working through something difficult. So the ACTA, you can take a look on their blog and you can see that timeline. When they, when they got good about disclosing information, you see a timeline from January 20, 2022, all the way through March 22nd, 2022, and the completion of the investigation report. So that's nice and easy. Anybody who wants to go into the detail can do so. And other people will just feel good just by simply reading there's a timeline they can go back and look at later if it feels important. I like the timeline a lot. The clarity, the octa is much shorter and that's helpful. So there's also an apology in here when someone shared screenshots of the third-party customer support engineers, one of octas, then there's clear language here. The sharing of these screenshots is embarrassing for myself and the whole octa team. And clearly also the fact that someone had access to take those screenshots is also embarrassing. And the CISO goes on to say that he's confident that Octa service has not been breached and there are no corrective actions that need to be taken by our customers. That's a strong phrase. So that's helpful to have clear language because then when you make a strong, strong statement like that, people will believe you. The other piece in here I really liked is a clear, direct sentence, which says we should have moved more swiftly to understand its implications and 
it is the impact of what happened. So the issuance of the complete investigation report, when we received that, we should have jumped right on that. So that's what he's referring to there. I like the ACTA, especially compared with the last pass. There's something even more recent if you want to dig into it. Okay, what do you got? I got Reddit. Oh, yeah, there was the, it, it wasn't a big breach, but there was a little thing on Reddit that happened, what, just, just this last week, right? Yep. There's a state of being breached or not breached. So even though it's a small breach, the communication here is pretty darn good. If you go on and you search for Reddit breach and it's February the 5th, then there are headers and four short paragraphs that fits on a single printed page in conversational language. And I'd just like to encourage everybody to read this whole thing. There is only one sentence in here that made me frown. It was done that well. A little bit of sample, I guess, in here. Exposure included limited contact information for currently hundreds of company contacts and employees, current and former, as well as limited advertiser information based on several days, that's underlined, of initial investigation by security, engineering, and data science and friends, we have no evidence to suggest that any of your non-public data has been accessed or that Reddit's information has been published or distributed online. So that's pretty clear. It's a strong statement. It's clear a single employee's credentials were obtained. It's, it's, it's clear there as well. And the only thing I just found at was a sentence that says, as we all know, the human is often the weakest part of the security chain. If they had left oh, that boo. off, I know... Oh, oh, boo. So I want to read the headers and then I want your take on this too, because the headers on this are what happened? How did we respond? User account protection. They go on to explain how they're going to work with employees and how you too, person who's reading this, can do a better job with your personal security. And then the last one is an AMA with an exclamation point. So ask me anything. It's beautiful. Other than the human blame there, it is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got you've got your timeline. You've got your uh, ownership. You've got your we did some diligence. Uh, and they mentioned the several days. Um, and, and to your point, you know, boo on blaming the human. That That is such a cliche. We, we've, we've covered that on this show more than once that, that quit saying the human is the weakest link. The human is the strongest ally. That is what we should be saying. But but I want to say one thing, though, specifically about their after several days investigation. Um, that phrase is incredibly loaded when it comes to audience expectation, right? This is part of what I posted about in my original post, both about LastPass and about Okta, you know, a year ago, is this fact that, you know, when, when a breach occurs, and, and I've never, thank goodness, knock on wood, uh, I have never been the CISO um, in the seat when a breach occurred, but I have consulted and helped with numerous folks over the years with numerous breaches over the years. And... The, the biggest problem you have as the CISO when your shop gets breached and you've got customers who are needing to be informed, the biggest problems you have is you've got two slider bars. You've got one called speed and you've got one called accuracy. And you have to figure out the balance between those two slider bars. If you rush straight to speed and immediately jump out there on the internet and say, oh my, oh, OMG, we were breached, you know, and, and have no facts or figures, no data, no analysis, and just fly right out there with OMG, we were breached. They're going to freak out on you for not providing them any data, scaring them, working them up, and giving them nothing to work with. On the other hand, if you go for accuracy and you wait, to Reddit's point, several days, what if that had been a big breach? If that had been a big breach and word had somehow gotten out about it, the audience would not have wanted Reddit to spend several days analyzing. The audience would have been very upset that several days had gone by without communication. 
And and so these are the two slider bars, accuracy and speed. And and you never get both because if one speeds up the other, you know, if one goes up, the other one goes down. They're they're levers that that play against one another. And so that's just one thing. With Reddit, they had a small breach. It wasn't published by others. They were able to do their several days of research. They were able to get the results out as a result. So that's just the one other thing I would point out about the Reddit breaches. They had the luxury of the several days, which let them spend the time and the accuracy both well. You don't always have that luxury, right? Yeah, and several days to them. This was February 5th. And when they posted this, it was only four days later. So several days to them was four days. So that's almost brilliant to, to call four days several days. Yeah. When, when you have a one account breach, that is four solid days of digging around to make sure that's really all it was, was the one account like that. It feels like several days when you're living it because you're tearing apart every log of every system you have. You're cross-referencing everything to everything like that's it, it feels like several days when you're living it. Um, I, I can state that for sure. Um, so let's see here. This is a great example, the Reddit one. I think it's a great example. Um, but we got some other comments that came out of my LinkedIn post as well. And this was just folks that chimed in with other nuanced points to this whole how do you deal with breach communications thing. And if you're up for it, I thought we could cover a couple of people's comments and, and kind of respond to them. Oh, that sounds great. All right. John Whalen points out that you need specific comms per audience. In other words, the message you send out to the general public may not be the same message you send to your customers may not be the same message you send to the FBI or, you know, whatever it might be, that you need to tailor those comms per audience. What's uh, what's your thought on that one? Oh, goodness, yes. That's a great example. I think that what you do, and in my opinion, if I were in the middle of a breach, we would gather all the facts because legal is going to need them. Insurance is going to need them. You need all the facts. And then from there, you would determine your audiences, what they need to know and what you wish to convey, which are two different things. So you're going to want both of those in your corporate communication to your customers is what they need to know and what you want to convey. And hopefully that's an apology, although legal may not allow that, at least early. There, as you said, implications in talking with all those parties, there will be different tones of voice and different details for each of those parties. But it all does come from a common pool of facts, truth, and timelines. Now, Juliet Okafor, aka Jules, friend of mine, she's got a great little cybersecurity company of her own. Um, She points out that you need to have your comms plan nailed down with your IR plan. In other words, if you're going to do a tabletop exercise for incident response and have a plan and a playbook and all that, that your comms plan needs to already be nailed down at that stage. Eric Cunningham jumped on and agreed. Uh, Dwayne Graham jumped on and agreed. Blaine Hankey jumped on and agreed. Everybody said the playbooks, the the IRs, even the tabletop exercises should include the comms plans. And I I just thought, I I can't argue with that in the slightest. I thought that was absolutely valid to point that out and and, and necessary for folks who are planning on uh, incident response. Um, in, in any capacity. Do you see that frequently or do you usually see BCP, IR, and DR? And those are your three that make it all happen for you when you start looking you know, business continuity, disaster recovery, incident response, and then you're, you're ready. But the comms plan, that seems very logical to include that and also know who's going to own that. Can that person be dispassionate in the middle of what you can't completely plan for in terms of how you might be breached? Yeah, when I conduct tabletops, either BCDR or IR, you know, either one, and and to me, one is sort of the catastrophic existential sort of scenarios, you know, like a whole data center destroyed uh, in a flood or a tornado or something, and then the other one is a breach, an incident, a ransomware. Um, But to me, the playbooks are awfully similar. Um, I will do tabletops for both scenarios, the big and the small, the specific and and the broad. 
Uh, I will do the entire, uh, you know, Ottawa site is offline, the entire, I'm just making up city names now, Singapore data center got flooded, you know, whatever it might be. It, it all still is the same because when the bad thing occurs, big or small, specific or broad, you've got to communicate to stakeholders. And those stakeholders could be uh, the customers uh, whose data was on that server that just got blown up in a tornado. It could be, uh, you know, somebody whose data was affected by a breach. It could be the the legal component. It could be you have to notify the FBI or whomever, the police or the whatever. Um, as you go through those tabletop exercises, to me, it's vital that you have the calling trees in the playbooks. And part of that is at some point someone's going to have to speak. And the chief marketing officer, general counsel, and the CISO, should all three know their rules? They should all three know when do we notify FBI, if at all? When do we notify customers, if at all? Um, you know, picture picture things like um, contractual commitment. Sometimes your duty to your customers is a general purpose duty to all customers where it's like, hey, I'm going to go out on, on the Internet and I'm going to say, you know, whatever, Alan Alford, Inc., uh, was breached, and here's the details, right? Attention all customers who use Alan Alford, Inc.'s valuable, uh, I don't know, Twinkie pairing services or whatever we offered Alan Alford, Inc., um, it, you know, you have that message that goes out to the everybody, but then you have specific contracts that you have to pull where you have one client who says, I need to be notified within X hours or X days of any given breach. Uh, some clients insist on being notified of the process you go through during investigation, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so, so there's all these nuances to communication that have to be understood ahead of time. Absolutely must be. And if you're going to practice on a DR, a BC, uh, an IR, any of these types of events, and you're not covering comms, to me, you're, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. That's my take on it. I like that. What do you recommend for super small companies? How much depth do they need to go into? They don't have a chief marketing officer. That's, that's always where my heart is, is with the super small companies. The little guys. Um, believe it or not, you can get some good broad strokes engagement interaction with your company if you just go and download, uh, believe it or not, FEMA has some good documents for so you're a business worried about disaster. You can download free templates and documents, but I have a tabletop exercise. If anybody wants it, hit me up on LinkedIn. I've got a tabletop exercise uh, PowerPoint that's just kind of a tips and pointers to run through and do it. Um, there's lots of resources out there to help you that that don't involve, you know, these highfalutin roles and these huge organizations. There's lots of free stuff out there if you dig around. And do they, they focus in on the communications piece? I'm just curious because I haven't waited all the way through all of those. Some do, yes. Some you're on your own. But I think listening to podcasts like this one, you know, will help get you where you need to get to. All right. Eric Stover of the financial uh, services industry pointed out that legal representation has to happen before communicating due to regulations, laws, and such. And, of course, contractual commitments, et cetera, tie into what we just talked about. Basically, you know, he's reminding us that in many scenarios, having the lawyer involved is not just a want or a protective measure. It is a mandate that the lawyer be involved in the comms. And I just thought that was a fair call out. So then in the communication plan, that is a perfect place to determine the scope of how legal with current customer set is going to interplay with what we can and cannot say is what that feels like. And <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's a great way to put it. Um, yes, they have, they must be legally involved, but that doesn't mean they have to be legally involved in every single facet and, 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 and dictate every communication, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's a good point. Now, here's another interesting one that ended up being pro the legal team getting involved. Uh, Paul Robinson said, I thought this was so interesting, bad comms are often the result of untrained technical teams trying to manage on their own without legal counsel. In other words, just a bunch of nerds thrashing through logs, you know, blorting, blorting out 
you know, uh, technical jibber jabber comes to the to the universe and, and hoping they're addressing the issue. And, and, and somebody like a trained lawyer could tell them like, hey, you know, you've got an audience, you've got a mission, you've got to, you know, it's almost like the lawyer fulfilling the same mission that a CMO might even fulfill. Just letting teams, technical teams run amok on their own isn't sufficient and legal can actually help there. Legal can help with one of those edits or iterations for sure, but I don't think we want legal to be the last thing the customer sees because then you're going to have both the legal jargon and the technical jargon in the scenario that you're mentioning there too. So in your bigger organization, like you said, your chief marketing officer can really help there or some third party who can look at every bit and piece of what can be known and determine the tone who does not have the emotional involvement in there. So the chief marketing officer may or may not be that person you might have if an agency that you work with on that, who does some of your advertising, et cetera, who can come in and be that dispassionate, helpful, but caring person or set of people. As the consulting CISO, I have been that role on some of these issues I've dealt with where I helped them craft their communications because I wasn't the CISO who had just been punched in the teeth. I was there to help from outside. Um, And so I've got the understanding, I've got the sympathy, the empathy, the understanding of the technicals, the understanding of the nuances, been through this rodeo before in terms of legal and CMO comms, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm dispassionate because I'm not the CISO who just got punched in the teeth. Uh, so so an outside consulting entity can, can be helpful for that too. I've actually been that role. And that's perfect. And it would make sense too that you'll have every piece of it and the experience with legal and serving in the CISO role and all the facets and the pieces, how they fit together so that the communication would be more like the Reddit communication or the Okta than the last pass. Now, the last LinkedIn comment I enjoyed, Mark Goldstein pointed out, he said, colleges and universities should teach breach comms and corporate communication classes. Like this is a common enough occurrence that this should just be part and parcel of the curriculum. Somewhere in your corporate comms, there should be at least a a week spent on, you know, breach comms and they should focus on it and drill into it and train communications professionals on how to deal with this because it's not like breaches are going away. I think that'd be wise in your larger organizations to understand and not just breaches, but any sort of disaster that might befall. So it's in the theme of that too. It doesn't have to be restricted to just breaches that people know who owns the communication. That's probably a really good thing to end in a single statement. What I care about is someone is going to own this communication to each channel. Who is that? Who is responsible? And will provide that last filter because that's what the ownership really is, is it's going out in your voice or you have the last edit on on a collaboration between people. I like it. I like that a lot. Well, Heather Noggle, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch and talking through these scenarios with us. I knew you'd be a, a great person to have this conversation with. It's interesting. The intersection of communications and cybersecurity is not one that most people think about until it's too late. And you've clearly put a lot of thought into it uh, and, and clearly offer, uh, offer the community some, some real insights. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me again, Alan. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.